0: Happy Thanksgiving, I hope there is a turkey in your future, in your past, and your, probably not in your present, but uh, everybody doing okay? Do you greet five people? Everybody greet five people? Seven? Klaus is an overachiever, I've actually always known that about him, so good to see you this morning and um, ready to get into God's word? Okay, they they tell you when you're a preacher you should have like a really um, like a good intro that really grabs people. So I'm going to start with a definition because that's not boring at all, right? Oh, a definition! Yay. Okay, so a definition. Um, we're talking about insecurity, so let's define that word. Insecurity, uh, uncertainty, or anxiety about oneself. Now we're going to come back to that definition actually a little bit later on, but I, I want you to see in it that not only does this define insecurity for us, but it actually provides us with the the biblical solution for overcoming insecurity. This definition from a dictionary gives the biblical solution, for overcoming insecurity. Now we're in this series called The Weight of the World, and this is the uh, last of the four messages we're looking at, and we've talked about brokenness and failure and doubt along the way, and we've done so by looking at various New Testament characters. We're going to do exactly the same thing today. We're going to talk about the Apostle Paul as we uh, think about insecurity. And you might not actually think, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, we know so much about him, probably as much about him than, uh, than any other New Testament character, maybe b- besides Jesus. But uh, the thing about Paul is, if you know anything about him, you would just go, I don't think he was insecure. In fact, everything we read about Paul, everything we, we read that he wrote, gives us this indication that maybe this guy was like super secure. But here's the thing that we can that prior to Christ, Paul's security was in the wrong thing. And Paul says so himself. Or we're gonna look at that for sure. And that's the key to it. Because whether you would see yourself as an insecure person, or whether other people around you would see you as a an insecure person, or whether you are a super secure person like the apostle Paul was, whichever it is, the solution in fact is exactly the same as we look at God's word today. Whether we're dealing with insecurity. Or misplaced security, the solution is exactly the same. And Paul actually said it this way: Philippians 3:8, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today uh, as we go along. You can note these, and, um, but Philippians 3:8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I count everything as lost. All those things that I think are going to make me feel secure, that I believe are making me secure, I count all those things as lost. And so we're going to go after this. I will be secure in life when I am secure in Christ. That's what we're going to look at today. So let me pray for us and then we'll, um, we'll get right at it. Let's pray together. Father, we know that it's uh, pointless uh, for us to have our Bibles open in front of us and to hear another sermon from your word. It's pointless apart from your Holy Spirit falling on this place and convincing us of the truths we're hearing and convicting us in such a way that we're ready to repent and to obey and to live these principles out. And so God, I pray that you would do that again today, that you would meet us that your Holy Spirit would work in this place, and that we would indeed put Jesus Christ at the center of our lives and count everything else as loss. And we pray this in his strong name. Amen. Amen? All right. I will be secure in life when I am secure uh, in Christ. Let's start here. Uh, Before I knew Jesus, I was secure in me. Now, I know the objection, and we've already touched on it. Some of you are saying, you know what, I'm a very insecure person, so I'm definitely not secure in me. But even if you would describe yourself as insecure, you are in that place because your plan is to rely on you. Your plan is to look for external means of creating security around you. It might not be working. It probably isn't working, but that's your plan. And the Apostle Paul, in fact, gave every impression of being secure in himself. He was a very high achiever, and as a young man, in fact, I want you to turn to Acts chapter seven. That's where we're going to start. Uh, the book of Acts chapter 7. We're going to look at um, Acts 7 to 9. We're going to look at Philippians 3. We're going to be in Second Corinthians 12, primarily those three passages along the way here today. Uh, these are all accounts of Paul in the book of Acts, or they're things that he wrote Including his own testimony. So, this is Acts chapter 7. And um, this young man named Stephen had uh, been set apart as a leader in the church, and he preached this unbelievable message. And it got the attention of the religious leaders, and they weren't super happy about the things that he was preaching. And so, this mob came up, and they decided that they were going to um, execute Stephen for the things that he had just preached. Now, this is Acts 7. Uh, Verse 54, when they heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth at him, but he full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So he has this vision and he said, this is where he makes his fatal mistake, literally fatal mistake. Behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, Paul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution, And there arose in that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church and entered house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So Paul takes on, he's this young man, he's ambitious, he's high achieving, he's well respected, and he gets the job. The religious leaders assign him, they give him the job as chief persecutor of this new church that's been established, to stamp out the witness of Jesus Christ in the world. And listen, he was so good at his job that he even got the attention of God, and at that moment, God decided that he would hire him. Now that's a little bit... Come on, I thought that was a little funnier than that, see? Because he was good at his job. God saw that, said, I'm going to hire him. He's going to be on our team, right? Wasn't that not as funny as I thought it was? I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good. But before that happened, Paul said of himself, and now this is over in Philippians 3, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. And he talked about those days when he was the persecutor and all the days leading up to it. In fact, in Philippians 3... You'll see this, verse four, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, okay? I have every reason to be confident in my abilities. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. You think you're something? You think your education was good? You think your status is great? You think your job is wonderful? You think you're good at what you do? And he says, I have more. This guy was not short on pride, Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul had it all going on. And then he went into... um, Describe, he describes here his rather impressive resume. He describes really in this his sense of security, and he calls it twice in this passage uh, confidence. This is his confidence in the flesh. This is his confidence in himself. It is his sense of security. He was fully secure in what he had accomplished and in his status and in his authority. So that's Paul before Jesus. And that's his list of things that helped him feel secure. But the question for us today is, what's making you feel secure? What's on your list? I mean, is it your education? You know, I went to a really good school and I got my degree and I got a master's degree and I worked on my doctorate. Is it, is it your education and that's where your security is? Is it the right job that you got as a result of your education? Now I have the right job. Is it the fact that you have money in the bank? Is it the fact that you're 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 married, and I, I just wanted to be married and I wanted to feel secure in that? Is it that you have the right spouse? Is it that you have the right family? My family's the thing that brings my security. This is it your friends. Is it, is, it, is it living on the right side of town or or what is it that gives you your sense of security? Is it being recognized for what you do? Is it being the right weight or the right height or looking the right way? Is it the clothes you wear? What are you looking to for your security? I mean if it's any of these things then, you know, this series is called the weight of the world and how to get out from under it, and if your security is in any of the things I just listed, then I'm just going to tell you, just in all fairness, you should feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. You should feel it. Because none of those things is really going to bring you the security that you think it's going to bring you. Timothy Keller says this, he wrote this in his book, Sickness Unto Death, Soren Kierkegaard says, it is the normal state of the human heart to try to build its identity around something besides God. Spiritual pride is the illusion that we are competent to run our own lives, achieve our own sense of self-worth and find a purpose big enough to give us meaning in life without God. Now you, you look at that, identity, self-worth, purpose, All of those things are what we're looking for when we go after all of those other things and all of it relates to the sense of security that we want to have in the world. That's what Kierkegaard called the normal state of the human heart to go after it without including God in the process. And if that's your plan, you'll never find the security that you're seeking and Paul, by his own testimony, didn't find it in those things. Because security's not found in what you look like or what you accomplish in your status, your wealth. It's not in what others think of you, and it's not actually even in what you think of you. Before I knew Jesus, I was secure in me or trying to be secure in me. And I want to tell you flat out, God wants to disrupt that thinking in you. He wants to disrupt that. Jesus disrupted Paul's life and Paul's plan. And look at this next. When I met Jesus, that security was disrupted. Paul went on to say, again, right here in Philippians 3, 7 and 8, whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. And then that verse we looked at in the introduction. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When he met Jesus, his life was radically transformed. And we see what happens and how our security shifts away from us, away from our plan, away from the external things that we try to put in place and squarely gets put on Jesus. Jesus. Again, pick it up. Philippians 3 now and verse 9 really is where he talks about how this is all altered for him. Actually, partway through verse 8 For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. All that stuff is rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The only thing that's going to be giving me any kind of security in this life, the only thing that brings me life itself, is the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in my life? That's the only thing that will give us security. And this is what God wants to disrupt in our lives. He wants our perspective to be completely altered on all of this. And Paul, in fact, describes his conversion, and you can see how God disrupts his life. Back to the book of Acts, now, chapter 9. And this is the conversion of Saul this is when he becomes a believer Acts chapter 9 verse 1 so so Saul's this persecutor he he's been charged by the religious leaders now he has these letters he's going out Now this is Jesus, not just disrupting, but when you read this, you realize that what Jesus is really doing is crushing Paul. He's crushing him to bringing, to bring him this super confident guy to bring him to a place where he recognized his need of Jesus. And, and, and really the, the question that needs to be pressed into our lives right now is, have we gotten to that place? have you, gotten to the place of recognizing your need of Christ has your life been disrupted have you been crushed by Christ so that you'll see that your way of doing it is not the way has Jesus disrupted your life I mean if you're still living and there hasn't been any real life change then what claim do you have on Christ Or you may be interested in all of this and so you come here and you're a part of Harvest and I don't know how long you've been here and you're intrigued by maybe a few of the things. You like the music, you're interested in the preaching, you're kind of interested in Jesus and so you're hanging around this group. But your life hasn't actually been changed in any substantive way. If that's true of you, then you really have no actual claim to be saved. Because what I know to be true is this, you cannot go to the cross of Christ and and see the cross for what it really is and not have your life completely altered. You cannot look into the empty tomb and expect to go back to your life the way it was. God disrupts our life. In order to bring us to himself, when you meet Jesus, your security is always disrupted. Well, that's, that's what gets us started in the Christian life. That's the, the first part of the whole thing and and, and now God wants to get us to this place that I actually follow Jesus and I'm secure in him. You see this next? Now that I follow Jesus, I have to be secure in him alone. I hope that you've made that decision for Christ. And if you have, then everything else we're going to talk about here is what the Christian life should actually look like. I follow Jesus and I'm secure in him alone alone. We looked at Paul's conversion, but the disruption in Paul's life was something that God actually kept in place. It wasn't that, you know what, I'm going to disrupt his life so that he becomes a follower of Christ, and then I'm going to kind of just bless him and make his life easy. And what you really see in the Christmas, Christian life is really this. God keeps disrupting our lives for the entirety of the years that we live on planet Earth because he constantly is reminding us we need him And we can't revert back into feeling secure in ourselves. And so Paul's shocking conversion wasn't enough. We get a hint of how hard this is going to be God used a man named Ananias to actually lead him to God and explain some things to him and at that point his sight was restored and he gained his strength and he ate and Ananias was a little reluctant to actually meet with Paul and and to do this and God actually said to Ananias about Paul's life he said this I will show him I'm going to show Paul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name in other words, the entirety of Paul's life is going to be disruption, disruption, disruption. So Paul always trusts in me. That Paul would never go back to his super confident, secure in himself ways. Now those of you who know the apostle Paul and know anything about the New Testament, you know that Paul was given this very special affliction called the thorn in the flesh. You know this? The thorn in the flesh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You can actually turn there right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we read about this, where Paul writes about it and what God was actually doing in his life. God gave him this thorn in the flesh, some kind of an affliction. Verse 7 says, Paul said this, to keep me from becoming conceited to keep me from pride to keep me from thinking too much of myself to keep me from becoming secure in myself again and then he said this verse 10 for the sake of Christ then i'm content with weaknesses insults hardships persecutions and calamities for when i'm weak then i am what's the word strong, strong then i am strong when i'm weak i'm strong When I'm insecure in myself, I'm secure in Christ because I'm looking to him for that. When I'm insecure, when I'm destabilized, when I'm disrupted in my life, then I'm strong. Then I'm secure in him. And God actually told him, the way you're going to get this is through grace. And I'm going to give you. Verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ, the security of Christ, may rest upon me. And we don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, but it hindered him and it made him dependent on God. God was ensuring that Paul would never again have confidence in the flesh there would be no misplaced sense of security in his life. And, and, and that wasn't the only thing that, that kept him in that place. And you start to look at Paul's life and you see all the disruptions that God brought into his life. And you realize, and we should all realize, that when our lives are hard and when these things keep happening to us and when we don't get relief from these things, that every one of them is an indicator from God that he wants you to depend on him alone. I mean, check this out. Right after he was saved and baptized, he gets his sight restored, and then he went and preached. He goes into Damascus, he preaches a sermon, and it gets the attention of the of the uh, leaders, the civic authorities in that town, and the governor puts a warrant out for his arrest so that Paul, having just given his life to Christ, having just been called to to really minister his life for God, is now being lowered out of the city in a basket to escape the governor. Paul might rightly have been thinking, what did I sign up for? How is this better? than what I had. So, he naturally says, you know what? I know what I'll do. I'll get to Jerusalem and I'll go to the believers and and they'll receive me because now I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus. I'm going to go to them. And they were like, don't come to us. We're all afraid of you. Here's Paul. God had just called him. Jesus had miraculously saved him. He's got nowhere to go and nowhere to trust. So his security was in Jesus alone. As his ministry unfolded, here's this guy pouring himself out and and so many afflictions that have come his way as he's ministering the gospel. And and people just had these opinions of him. And people have opinions of us. And sometimes it can be so damaging when people say things to us or we hear in the wind what people are saying about us. And here's Paul just trying to serve Jesus, just trying to lead people to him, just preaching the gospel and planting churches. In 2 Corinthians 10, 10, Paul says this, for they say about me, his letters are weighty and strong. He's a really good writer. He's a really good writer. You always know this, when someone's like saying nice things about you and they're drawing you in close, that they're just about ready to sucker punch you, Right? Okay. Okay. What's coming next? They say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. He's a great writer, but he's not much to look at, and 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 he's not a very good preacher. Ouch! God's just trying to serve Jesus. And then he dealt with this devastating rift in one of his most important friendships... Barnabas was actually the man who took him after he was saved. And the apostles and disciples are all afraid of him. And it's Barnabas who takes him and introduces him to the disciples and assures the disciples that he's genuinely saved. Barnabas is the one who went to bat for him. So the two of them go off into ministry. The first missionary team that's ever sent out in Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas go out together and they serve Jesus and they preach the word and they endure so much together. And then a sharp disagreement Acts 15 tells us a sharp disagreement came between he and Barnabas and the scriptures don't give us any indication that that was ever reconciled. And how often in our lives do we have sharp disagreements come between us and other people and and we're thinking they love Jesus and and I love Jesus and why is this happening and why are we no longer friends? Because God doesn't want us to have our security in each other. He wants us to have our security in him. Paul had to stand up to Peter. Here's Peter. This is Galatians chapter two. This is Peter. This is like the the, the top disciple. This is the leader of the disciples. This is the man who walked with Jesus for more than three years. And Paul had to go toe-to-toe with him over a matter of theology. Paul could rightly be thinking, what's going on in my life? Nothing seems to really be working that well. And then near the end of his life, having followed and served Jesus for more than 30 years, he began to sound like a man who was doubting whether or not his life had had any impact at all. Second Timothy is commonly called his dying letter. And he's writing to the young pastor that he had mentored and brought into ministry. And he laments back and forth in the letter. You can feel the tonality is very sad because he knows that it's only days now before he's gonna be martyred, executed for his faith. And, and you can hear him, there's, there's sadness and there's uh, um, lament in the letter. And then he switches back and he reminds himself of some truth. In 2 Timothy 4.16, as an example of this, he laments that no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. That's so sad to read. This is Paul. Hundreds, thousands of people had come to faith in Jesus Christ because of Paul. He, he's the first real theologian of the church. He, Thirteen letters in the New Testament were inspired by the Holy Spirit to be in the scriptures that he wrote. This man is the preeminent leader of the church. And no one came to stand by him in his trial. verse 17 the very next verse this is what paul reminds himself of but the lord stood by me and strengthened me that's what god wanted that's why god was disrupting him in that moment as well he was feeling the loneliness and insecurity of having been abandoned yet he brought to mind his faith and the promises of god and he was strengthened by jesus christ directly His security was not in his accomplishments. His security was not in Barnabas. It was not in his freedom. It was not in his mission or ministry or all he had accomplished. It was not in churches. It was not in pastors that he had mentored. His security wasn't in any of those things. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. In some ways, overcoming all of this and resting in Christ comes down to this one thing that Paul said in Galatians 1.10, and it's a verse that has been so important for me um, as a pastor. Galatians 1.10, for am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of God. You can't please men. You can't please yourself. You can't please anyone. No one's going to be there for you. That's not the place to put your security. It has to be in the fact that you're a servant of Christ. Don't please anyone else. Don't please yourself. Please Christ alone. Now you and I need to say this really, at the end of hearing all of that about Paul's life. I don't have it in me. That's the vulnerable place we all need to get. That's the thing we need to confess to one another and to God. I don't have it in me to feel secure. I have no personal sense of security. I'm not relying on myself to get through it. And I need to be honest with you about some things. Some things that God does and does not guarantee to you in this life. And I hope this is helpful to you. But but Jesus does not guarantee your physical safety. Nor that of your family. Jesus does not guarantee your financial well-being. He does not guarantee your health. He does not guarantee any of your relationships. He does not guarantee your job. He does not guarantee the length of your life. The prosperity preachers would not like it that I'm saying any of that. But the scriptures make that clear. He doesn't guarantee us any of that in this life. But if you're secure in him, he does guarantee you a place with him for all eternity. He does guarantee you joy. He does guarantee you peace that, that surpasses all understanding. He does guarantee you hope that transcends any circumstance of your life. He does guarantee you that he will love you unconditionally when everyone else in your, in your life fails you. He guarantees us some pretty awesome things. And all of those things that I mentioned, not one of them adds anything to the weight on your shoulders. They're all gifts from him that bring us relief and bring us life. Now I get that that's easy to say from up here and so hard to live out because of the world that we live in. You know, the world, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, everyone wants you to feel secure. The world just has a very different way of going about it. In fact, the world and what we see in the word of God are really completely opposite ways to go about being, feeling secure in life. The world offers you this. If you want to feel secure then you must join the cult of self-esteem. The main doctrine of the cult of self-esteem is just believe in yourself. Elementary school teachers and children's TV and books are indoctrinating and preaching this message that puts your child at the center of all things. It sounds right to us because we've heard it so often and everyone's buying into this cult of self-esteem. Your children are told, believe in yourself and, and you can accomplish anything in life. And Listen, with that mantra, you and I, therefore, become the measure of all things. We determine our own path. We decide what's best for us. And we need to expose the lie of that. Just believe in yourself. Yourself. Here's what you need to know about yourself you are weak, you are vulnerable, and you are a mortal human being. By mortal, I mean you're all gonna die. I don't mean to be discouraging with all of that this morning. And again, I'm so glad I came to church today. Humans are also capable of many wonderful things. We, we should be properly encouraging one another for sure. But it's far beyond our power to actually control anything. You realize that? It's beyond our power to actually control anything. And so, at best, security, this thing that we're trying to go after, at best, it's a moving target. I'll give you some examples of this. Here's what I mean. None of us can withstand the forces of nature. You can't control it. Let me mention some names to you. Harvey, Irma, Jose, Nate, have devastated Caribbean islands, wiped out some islands entirely, the whole population taken out. It will take years, if not decades, for some of those places to recover. The fourth largest city in America was brought to its knees for weeks Because of nature, you can't control that. You can't control the actions of a madman or of terrorists. Edmonton and Las Vegas are are just the latest examples in a long list of examples. Sporting events this weekend will have another moment of silence for another Tragic shooting and massive loss of life. No one's in control of that. You cannot withstand the effects of aging, of cancer, of idiots on the road. If your security is in you, you will be bitterly disappointed. And no human being can stem the tide of sin and its effects in this world. I said we would go back to the definition, and let's do that now. Insecurity, uncertainty, or anxiety about one's self. The biblical solution is right there. Do you see it? It can't be about oneself can't be about you. The root issue around insecurity is making myself the center. That's pride. The antidote is to think of myself less, to think of, of Christ more, to focus on him. That's humility. And in one very poignant line... Rick Warren said it this way, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. That, that is the antidote. That's the solution to the problem of insecurity. Think of yourself less. Get your eyes off of oneself and onto the one and only Jesus Christ. Well, it isn't a hard looking at those three things. It isn't hard to see how insecurity and putting myself at the center can affect our lives, how it's a weight on our shoulders. It affects our closest relationships. It affects our job performance. And I think about how much energy, if we just were focused on Christ and we were secure because of him, how much energy that goes into trying to feel secure could now go into living our lives for him and being on mission and, and serving him. Instead of it all being expended on sorting out our insecurities, we simply have not thought to get our eyes off of ourselves and to fix our eyes on Jesus. And so what does it take to be secure in him? We have to ditch everything else that we might put our confidence in and trust in him alone. No confidence in the flesh. And I love uh, this picture. I'm going to conclude with this, but this picture that I read in a blog, Jason Swarovski said this. He makes this point. And, and, and i would just ask you this question first. How many of you had a security blanket when you were children? Just raise your hand. If you had a security blanket when you were a child or some doll or stuffed toy that was your security and it went everywhere with you and you had to have it. And um, you had those things, to make yourself feel secure. Now, I want you to think about, and give me the answer for this, Uh, um, who was the most famous security blanket user in history? Linus. Linus. Of course it was. And um, in one of the most poignant moments... There he is. Okay. Everyone loves Linus. In one of the most poignant moments in cartoon television history, Linus is explaining the meaning of Christmas to Charlie Brown while the rehearsing for the Christmas pageant. And he does this, you'll remember, it was so shocking to most of us, and it's shocking for us to think about it today. He does it by, do you remember this? Reciting from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And he explains to Charlie Brown what the true meaning of Christmas really is. But all those years of watching that, and I don't know how many times I've watched this, dozens and dozens probably, I'd never noticed this one thing that happens here. And this is where the blogger kind of pointed this out. We're going to watch the clip in just a moment. But as Linus begins to recite Luke chapter two, I want you to watch his hands. I want you to watch what he does with his hand when he says the words, fear not. Watch the clip. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. See what happened? You see it? What did he do? He dropped the blanket. He dropped his blanket when he spoke the word of God, when the angels said the words, fear not. And that's what... God wants us to do. Charles Schulz obviously put that in intentionally so that every one of us would see that at the hearing of the Word of God, at the assurances that He gives us, every single one of us can drop the blanket, drop all those other ways of trying to make ourselves feel secure, and instead rest securely in Him. We live in a world that gives us no reason to feel secure, and we won't get there by believing in ourselves or putting confidence in the flesh. I will be secure in life when I am secure in Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Our God and Father, thank you for um, loving us and caring for us so much that you disrupt our lives. I pray, God, that you would disrupt the lives right now of those who have not yet surrendered to you, not yet had their Damascus Road moment with you. And while it may not come as miraculously as it did for Paul, it can be no less real. And so, God, I pray for those in this room who need to give their life to you, find the forgiveness of sins, and begin walking with you as a believer. And God, I pray for everyone in this room who's already made that decision. It's so easy to go back to all of these external forms of security, God. And I pray instead that every one of us in this room would drop the blanket and trust in you at the hearing of your word. And these things we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.